What is happening? What's happening? Uh, we are up to some ridiculous number, like 25, I think, is uh, there. Is what we're up to. Um, but um, yeah, things are good. Still living at home. We're having all kinds of uh, <laughs> in, increase in the corona here in Texas. A uh, bunch of idiots running around with no masks on. So uh, good time. Great job, everybody. Great job, everybody. Thanks for helping out. Nope. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, um, despite your your political beliefs, um, you know, science should win. Anyway, moving forward. Um, here we go. Here we go. Hey, so I thought that maybe today uh, we talk a little bit um, about questions and answers, and we kind of went and dug through uh, the the archives, as they say, and uh, pulled up some questions. Um, what do you got, Chris? Throw one at us. Let's go. What was the one from Star Friend Stephen Roll about volume? I believe. Do you have access to that one? I do. Uh, Stephen, hey. Um, let's see. He says, how do both of you manage a difference in opinion on how loud an artist should be? Uh, surely for both of you, there was, there has been pressure at times on how loud a particular band should be or should not be, uh, this pressure coming from management and artists, significant other list goes on, uh, appreciate your consideration on the question. What do you think? This one is a great question, Stephen. Thank you. Uh, this ties into a lot of stuff that we talk about often, including, and I, I know we beat this horse, but you know, perceived loudness. For sure. And I will say my experience has been, yes, early on, especially there were a lot more when live sound was not quite as I don't want to insinuate that, oh, live sound just became great like five years ago. That's not the case. There have been amazing sounding shows for as long as there have been shows. But now where really, really detailed, fine, articulate audio representation is possible I'm seeing with that becoming more and more common, I seem to get less and less, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. Because now incredible audio is possible, not just onslaught. And there was a lot of, that was very much the case with a lot of managers for a long time. They just thought, I guess they probably didn't think, but they never really thought make it better. They just thought make it louder, which again goes into the experience of it. Does that make sense? It totally does. You know, I watch... It's so weird. I watch managers and other people fall into the trap of looking at people and seeing if they're having a good experience and relating that to volume, right? Yes. So like standing there at front of house and seeing if people are up and dancing, then they don't give you any shit about how loud it should be. But if there's a moment where people aren't, you know, up and having a good time and, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, which by the way, that could be a moment where a video clip is happening and people are just standing there and watching TV, basically watching the video clip. But he perceives that as being a volume problem, he or she. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think 
um, a lot of this for me is education. So if I have a manager that is coming to me, you know, more than once about how he thinks that it should be louder, um, then I, I think that, uh, or I have in the past, I've, I've had a discussion with them like, Hey, you know, can we talk after the show? You know, I'll, I'll turn it up right now a little bit for you, but after the show, let's have a discussion about, you know, what, mm-hmm. what this means. Um, and then I, that discussion for me is, is talking about perceived loudness and talking about ways to get more impact without turning volume up and also emphasizing the world that we live in where people will sue you for throwing a piece of gum on the ground. Uh, That's good. So, you know, the, the way that I have won this in the past and, and by winning, I'm saying that I believe that it is plenty loud. And, Mm -hmm. and when I say that, I'm not like the guy that likes to mix at 98. You know what I mean? I like impact and I like volume. So what I perceive as being plenty loud is pretty damn loud, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And if he's asking for more on top of that, that's when I say, okay, um, let's have a discussion about it. And the usual way that I win that discussion is, you know, listen, um, you know, you, me, artist, everyone that's standing here is going to get our ass sued if, uh, you know, someone loses their hearing in a show. Now, what I mm-hmm. honestly believe internally is no one at any of my shows should ever lose their hearing. And so I, I'm, I'm real careful about that. Like, I don't ever want to be, you know... Early on in my career, I wasn't. I, when I was a young kid, I, and and also it was a time period when people weren't as conscious of sound pressure level and the damaging effects that it has on on hearing. Um, but I will tell you that you know when I mixed Kiss, I have no idea what it was because we weren't measuring sound back then. But I know it was like hurting. It was a loud. Yeah. Sure. Um, sure. And that was because that's what they wanted. You know, they wanted it to be ridiculously loud. Um, and I don't think that's the case anymore. Those guys are still working and, and, you know, Adam Stewart mixes them and he mixes them at a really nice volume, but he is not being asked to make it ridiculously loud. And I think it speaks to what you were just talking about a, a little bit ago about the, the speaker technology that I had to deal with and the speaker technology that he now has to deal with um, you know, he is allowed to make a mix that has impact and is prettier. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I was on some speakers that were like, you know, the way to get impact was to turn them up as loud as they would go. Right. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a false belief that we can ever get up and over the room. That's right. You know that, but we, but we all do it and I'll, and I'll do it sometimes just subconsciously when it's just not there you know, that, that relationship is a proportional relationship. They're reflective to direct sound, no matter if you're at 84 or 114, that does not change. And I, but people will try it. And again, you're saying that oftentimes, you know, management, I, I think you're right. It's, it's, they just don't know. And, and that's the thing with audio as a whole. A lot of times that's where we get into trouble with production, or not into trouble, but where we just fall into this gray area because they just don't, we're the only thing on the tour that is not tangible at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everyone can look at a rig, a lighting rig and go, that's blue. 
yeah. more blue. You know what I mean? They can't, there's nothing to see. They can't point to anything. They don't know what to reference. So oftentimes it sound, is just volume. Yeah. Sound is an opinion. That's what sound yes. is, period. So, exactly. They're not, and, and you know, they could say, turn it up. It's not hitting. We might know that's actually a phase anomaly that's causing you to think. That. So they just don't know and nor should they. So a lot of times it is volume that gets pointed out. And again, now we can create mixes that are more impressive without just, I don't know, maybe what was impressive before a lot of times was the, we talked about it recently. And when you're in charge of the experience was an experiential thing yeah. as opposed to an auditory sensation, you know, just, Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's really, that's good. You know? Well, I think that also um, back in the day, uh, you you <laughs> we would push it loud enough to where it started to distort, and then we yeah. would turn it down a little bit, and that was where speaker technology was, right? Like you would push the PA right up to where it's starting to distort, turn it down a little bit, and that's the volume. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that maybe people equate distortion, harmonic distortion, with impact and volume so mm -hmm. with when we have what we have now which is these speakers that have huge amounts of headroom where you can't even get close to distorting the amplifiers and the box without you know it being a million db um i think that someone that has been around for a little while may may not understand that because there's no distortion doesn't mean that it's low in volume and conversely, you know, I'm so glad you said that. I remember when I first jumped on the J-Series PA. Um, it was a J-Series PA with some new additive to it. And we were somewhere and I was getting too loud because there was no distortion and there was no fatigue. Right. You know what I mean? And it was like right early on in a tour and we were somewhere outside. It was like 108 A-Way. Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> it was over. Jesus, it's kind of like, I just, I didn't realize I was going we, that fast. We've Come. all done that. We've all been mixing yeah. and all of a sudden look up at the, at the SPL meter and go, oh shit, you know, let me turn that down. Right. Yeah. It's easy to happen now because the, the, the fatigue and the, the, um, the inner mod is not there as much, yeah, right. you know? So I, I, I got a good story here on this one before we move on. I had, I've had management for sure say things about volume and, and a lot of times I'm like you, I'm, I feel confident and very strongly about where we are and that I need to do everything I can to, like you said, to win this yeah. and not just for me and my own ego, but for what's right. That's right. So, but I also have to play the political game, you know, um, I had, I think I've mentioned it on this show before. I had a, a, a choreographer that at that time was the most important person on the tour. They were closest. It was their turn. They were closest to the artist. Yep. And this guy literally said to me once after the person that had been that ahead of him, this just goes to show the soap opera that is a gigantic tour. It just got fired. So this person had just elevated to that. I mean, it's such a soap opera. Totally. So early on in his new position as the most important person out there, he tells me, he said, quote, I want to turn it up. I want these kids' ears to be bleeding. Yeah. And I, I can't remember what my response was in the moment. You know, I'm, I guarantee you it was not, oh, okay. And I ran over and did it. But it was some measured sort of, of I course. hear you, let's talk about it. Now, I'll tell you what I did do, and this was not so much to tattle, but it was like, okay, I'm just going to set this up right politically. I did go speak to the production manager 
who I was close with. And I said, hey, I just want to let you know, I just had this conversation with such and such. I'll handle it. Yep. But so you know, this is what's going on. In case it comes here. down the pipe, here it is. Yes. So here's what's happening, you know, and I gave him that direct quote too, which is pretty damning bit of evidence that that's sure not a, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and in turn, I can't even remember how I made it right, but I know I stood my ground, waited for some of that wave of whatever to end, and then probably continue to do things like probably, again, about that, you know, you think about making it loud with uh, managing the, the high mids to where it's feeling more powerful, but it's not yeah, doing totally. that. And eventually, so there was some juggling of what was in front of me that on all levels, I probably, I made some sonic change to make him think it was louder. Sure. I covered myself politically and I didn't tell him to fuck off in the moment like I so badly wanted to, yeah. you know? So, so, I mean, that's a great point. The, the wrong thing to do, guys, is to tell somebody, um, yeah, sure, and then not do anything about it, right? You know? So when I have a, a discussion with a manager, hopefully after a show, uh, not during. <laughs> Hopefully yeah, after right. a show, we, we have a discussion and where I, you know, speak to him like, well, listen, can we figure out, a, I'm going to try to figure out a way to get more impact out of the mix without actually turning it up. Uh, here's why, um, you know, uh, I believe that, you know, this volume, whatever it is, 104 DBA weighted over 10 minutes is, uh, you know, I mean, that's a really solid, good rock show. Um, mm -hmm. But then you going back and doing nothing is not what you should be doing. Yeah, you, can't, you can't, speaking of what we're all going through in this country right now, you can't wish it away. That's right. Like you, there, there needs to be some proactive something yes. to make a difference, you know? Whatever that means. So, I mean, even as simple as um, adding some low end to your mix so that the subs have yep. a little bit more impact, exactly. whatever it is. I mean, you know, these are things that need to be addressed and that person, whoever it is, needs to feel like they mm -hmm. had an impact, you know, or that they, right. they, um, you know, I told him to turn it up and he did, you know, that, right. that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so, there you go, whatever you have to do. Whatever yeah. it is. But yep. what you don't do, in my opinion, is just turn it up. Because we, mm -hmm. I have this discussion a lot with younger kids. We have a responsibility um, to not damage people's ears. And we have the tools right now with the way, with the technology that we have, we have the tools to fuck someone's hearing up really bad. Um, Absolutely. And, and so you have to have you as an, as a mixer and as a system engineer have to take some responsibility and say, I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, I've actually had one gig that I didn't go back to. I was asked to go back to on another tour, like the tour ended and it was a year past and the second it, it started again and I turned mm -hmm. it down for that reason. And I told the manager that I would turn yeah. it down for that reason. Um, sure. and, and cool. I mean, he respected me and they moved on and got somebody else. Fine. I don't know what happened to that guy. Did that guy just show up and turn it up really loud? He might have. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that sucks. You know, it's like, I, um, I don't know. I feel very strongly about this. I don't want anyone to, um, you know, lose their hearing at a show that I'm at. So, um, anyway, be responsible out there. Um, there's lots of ways to handle this. 
Um, and, and so don't be just the guy that goes, okay, and turns it up. Right. That's my and, and, and as far as don't being that guy, I was just thinking, you know, don't be the lap dog. That yeah. The second on some whim they have a thought, but don't be dismissive. Don't be a sure. jerk. But if they see you jump in that moment and that wide-eyed kind of whatever you say, oh, my God, you just opened the floodgates. You yeah, know? totally. They smell blood, man. Don't do it. Yeah, um, for sure. Cool. All right. You got a – how about another one? I, I gave you that one. You got a question for, for us? Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Um, can, I can pull something else up if you want. It was Well, there was one on episode 18. I know. Um, and it was for my friend Steve in the mix. And let's, let's do this one. Real, I, I don't think this one will take too long, but it kind of uh, correlates to this. He was basically saying, speaking of volume, what do you guys do, if anything, for your own hearing? Oh, during, yeah. During the gig, outside of the gig. I'm, now I'm paraphrasing. Steve in the mix is asking, what do we do for our own hearing protection? Yeah. Um, Hold on. Let I me think, turn it. I can't hear you. So I'm going to turn it up just a little bit more. No, I'm, just, I'm joking. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what just happened? <laughs> exactly. What hearing and what huh? hearing protection are I'm, you talking about? What? Huh? Yeah. I'm trying to ride the clock out here until uh, I retire. Uh, no. It's fucking so, funny. Um, no, uh, I mean, listen, hey, it's a concern, right? You know, I know for sure um, a couple of things for, on my end of things. Um, I know for sure that when I was younger and was mixing bands super, super loud, um, that I, I, I'm sure I did a little bit of damage to my hearing. Um, I know for a fact that um, I have a little tiny dip in my right ear um, right around 2K. Uh, and that I absolutely know comes from being a monitor mixer and having mm -hmm. a key wedge on the right-hand side of me on stun. Um, I used to put a key wedge on top of the wedge box so that the wedge yep. was like a foot right and there. a half from my ear and just, I mean, turned all the way up, especially the bands that I was doing, um, you know, were, were so loud on stage. Um, so, uh, later on in my career, um, I realized that, Hey, dumbass, your ears are your life. <laughs> you better, mm -hmm. you better start, um, taking care of them. And so, um, uh, I basically protect my ears in every place except for during a show. Um, so if it's an opening act happening, if I'm walking from, you know, behind the stage to front of house, um, if I'm at a festival and setting up shit, uh, if I'm on an airplane, uh, if I'm on a bus, if I'm on any sort of vehicle, I have a pair of earplugs that are in my pocket wherever I go, even when I'm not on a gig. Like if I'm here at home and I'm going to meet friends of mine at a restaurant, um, sometimes I'll pop earplugs in cause the restaurant is ridiculously loud. Um, mm -hmm. so I try to protect my ears in, in any way that I can outside of the show. I can't mix with earplugs. I just can't do it. Even the flat ones, I, I can't, it just doesn't work for me. Um, mm -hmm. so I am exposing myself to probably, you know, along with, you know, PA check and virtual playback and all that stuff. I'm exposing myself to three to four hours of, pretty high SPL, um, stuff every day when I'm on tour. Um, and, and that's just the way it is. But I, I do have a theory that, um, you know, if something is hurting me, then I fix it. 
You know what I mean? And so like if I'm sitting there more reason, sorry, that's all the more reason that we don't wear protection during the show. Right. No, that's you know absolutely I mean? a great point. Great point. Right. Yeah. Um, so in a way I'm protecting my own ears during mixing a loud thing because I'm like, I'm the guy that's driving. So if something hurts frequency wise or loudness wise or whatever, I fix it so it doesn't hurt me anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So in a way I'm, I'm adjusting things to, for my ears. Um, if that makes sense. How about you? Yeah, hundred percent. It makes sense. Uh, yeah. You know, I haven't had a hearing test in a long time. It's been 15 years. I, oh, I know wow. that I have, I had a dip, just calling myself out there, I need to do that. Um, I had a dip at 5K. And it, that is so etched in my brain that whenever I go to 5K to boost, I'm like, do I need that? Or do I need that? You, know what, you know what I'm saying? Totally. So my, my thing is kind of similar. I During the show, I need to know. People are like, well, can't you just put plugs in once you're going? I could. But I've also said many times, including on here, I don't do well. I will, even if I, again, I know it sounds good. I've never been good at it. Sounds down, it sounds good down there. Sounds like shit right here, so don't do anything. I will instinctively drift to whatever I'm hearing. And that's just me knowing myself. So I, too, feel I need to know in great detail exactly how it is in the moment. So, therefore, yep. I, I don't mix. I don't, I've never even tried. I just... I know I want to be able to hear it uh, exactly like it is for both myself and for everyone else. I mean, that's the whole deal. You know, sure. we're supposed to have clear vision as we pilot this ship. So, but that being said, uh, before the show, like as soon, man, I hate being in the room when someone else is tuning or anything's going, I mean, I just, I run from it. You know, I can't stand it. Um, and before a show, again, if there's a support act, I often keep at front of house, I keep some gun muffs, yep. you know, they're like something I bought off of Amazon, like 32 DB of protection or whatever. Um, I usually like on the way to front of house, I know what techs have little foamies. I know if production has them and I'm a frequent guest for all those people. I have tried to buy a, keep a hold of, you know, the attenuated stepped you know, mold. I'm just not responsible enough to keep track of them. So I just go find whatever I can find, <laughs> shove it in my ears to walk to front of house. Then when I get to front of house, I'll oftentimes put those muffs on. Um, and if I don't do that, I'll do this. I'll just yeah. grab, can't, I'll walk up, kind of give a nod to the support mixer. Like, Hey man, what's up? Sit down and I just put these on, yeah. you know, so I do something and I know not to be out there for too long, you know, three songs. Yep. What I don't want to be even with these on after a while, it starts to yeah, kind of beat down. So, and that's it. And then, uh, and then when I'm out and about, I just try to be mindful of where I am. You know, I don't go to a show and stand four feet from a, a speaker of or whatever. So of I'm course. aware. I'm always aware. And I mean, I even take it a step further. Like with my daughter, I'm like, now she still does this. I'm like, Hey, we don't scream in daddy's ears. You know what I mean? Like I, totally. you, you know, I just, yeah. there's, there's certain things that we've got to remember where the literal money is. And it's, it's in these things. It is so. in these things. Um, you know, one other thing I was thinking about while you were talking is one of the most important times that I protect my hearing with, as soon as you said gun muffs, I said, oh, yeah, right. At the end of a show, when I am uh, packing up front of house, 
I immediately put on gum muss, and here's why. Have you had the guys that do barricade come out there oh, yeah. and start unbolting barricade and then slam on the ground? Um, oh, yeah. So after the show goes down, people are still talking to me. They kick everybody out. Then when I go to take apart my gear, I always put my gum muss on and start you know, unwrapping cable and stuff because – some dude inevitably will be dropping a piece of barricade right behind you. Um, and it's yeah. happened to me so many times that I've literally turned around and like almost punched the guy in the face. Like, dude, really? <laughs> you know, right. I mean, that, that is a horrible sound for you, but do you realize <laughs> that I just mixed a two hour fucking show at 104 DBA weighted and you just did that to me? You know, it's like, dude, no. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, if you, if you are, on a tour that's carrying any sort of gear, get yourself a pair of gun muffs and put them in the put them in the rig. Yep. Yeah, yep. And if you're a big, if you're a big, uh, also you know talking about playback, my dog virtual. is puking back here. Bubba, yes. right? super real, super real, wow. super real. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, we like, live at home now. Nah, he's just choking on something. He's like, ah! Anyway, sorry. <laughs> what used to be housekeeping is now my dog. <laughs> you know? My dog is gagging um, on something. Anyway, you know, cans are easy to get too loud too. So, like during the day, if yes. you're doing play, like I had to like make myself stop, chill, look where that volume is. Um, I even make sure I don't line check too loud. You know, anything that's happening pre-show, I don't. I got to remember there's this cumulative toll. So I just, man, whatever, just, just watch yourself in every way. No, but I mean, it's important. You know, I, I think, I think that engineers, the younger generation of engineers are more attuned to kind of protecting their ears than maybe we were when we were young. I I see. Yeah. And I see it. Most guys, they've got their little, that's a little, again, I'm not responsible enough to keep up. I just use the little. (laughs) squishy things but I, I see a lot of people i can that, never so. i never can keep those things in my ear like the foamy i can't well that that too it's not a fun it just i just get through it you know <laughs> but anyway so yeah that's um the answer the long answer to that is that yes both of us do care about our ears and we do protect them in any way that we can um so there you go um okay so uh, looks like David, because there's a little thing over the A, so it's maybe David. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick, mm-hmm. R-I-K-K, um, is kind of has a really long question, but basically it's about latency. We keep getting more and more questions about latency. Um, Which is understandable. Yeah. Um, and what he is talking about is, uh, he actually went through and did the, um, you know, I don't know if you guys saw this, but on Scoville's The Lab um, several weeks ago, this is almost, I don't know, this is maybe almost two months ago. Um, he had like three weeks in a row where he talked specifically about latency uh, and was talking about, um, you know, basically measuring every single input channel, lining all the inputs up, lining all the outputs up, um, you know, using an FFT to do that. Um, and, uh, it was super extensive and super, uh, super interesting, but like in reality, am I really going to be doing that stuff? I don't know. You know, my, my philosophy on latency is this, it's like, if I bring something up and there is comb filtering happening and it doesn't sound right and there's something is obviously apparently wrong. 
um, then I will deal with it. Um, the only, usually the only time that I deal with latency without hearing something is when I'm sending a single input to more than one bus. Um, mm -hmm. Because that's when you get into trouble is a single input showing up in two different buses that have two different latency times. Um, you'll get, you'll get comb filtering. Um, so if I'm doing that, if I'm sending things to a single input to, to various buses, then I'll pay attention and I'll be like, okay, I probably need to line up my buses. And I think, um, you know, in an earlier video, I talked about how the easy way to do that is to put the same plugins on the two buses. And even if you don't use one of those same plugins, you know, um, just having it there, uh, you know, acts as a latency position. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a way to make them be the same by having the same, um, same plugins in there. Um, so, so my short answer with latency is that I don't pay attention to it like Scoville does. However, I do pay attention to it. And I do, if I hear something weird, I definitely go, okay, let's figure this out and address it. And either look at a waves rack that shows you the latency of that chain or use an FFT and actually measured it like what Scoville does. Um, but um, uh, one of the things that, that uh, David Rick said is um, that he actually experimented with that and doing, doing it the same way that Scoville did. Um, and he said that there was an audible difference. And I, I believe that. I believe that to be true. Like, you know, if you, if you line up everything then versus kind of letting everything go, there's probably going to be an audible difference. Now, here's the argument with me with audio. If you have an A and a B, we will sit here and argue about which one is better. And most of the time, people will pick the right one. Even people that aren't audio engineers, if you give them an A and a B, they'll pick the right one of the two. But if you take one of those away, and this one is still pretty good, there's mm. nobody on this planet that is going to say, well, no, that's, you know. I, that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. So that's kind of my point is I do whatever it takes to make it sound good. And whatever that means is, uh, you know, if I have to do some latency adjustment to fix things to make it sound good, then I will. But if I'm not doing those things and it still sounds good, it still sounds good, you know? Right. Um, so I, I try not to get lost in it as much as he does. And this is no slight to Robert. I think um, it's amazing the stuff that he does. Um, and the fact that he even like goes there is, is pretty impressive. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? <laughs> yeah, no, I was just looking up. I have some notes in my phone that stay there regarding latency for a lot of the platforms that I use, Digico, uh, Universal Audio, Live Rack, a lot of in and out times. I keep those on my phone. So oh, cool. I was going to, I was going to reference one of those. I'll say this as a intro to my answer. If you are not cognizant of aware of thinking about the reality of latency as a mixer nowadays, you're losing. Yeah, like you right. now, you don't have to, to the degree at which you then are compensating for and keeping track of 
is relative to whatever you feel you need to do. But if you're not thinking about it or aware that it's a thing, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in a bad place. Because even if you're staying totally uh, within console processing, right? Even, even that, staying within that, you know, it's not, le- it's not going through conversion. It's not leaving the desk in any way. You still stand to incur latency at many different turns. You know, it only takes a few samples here or there yep. for, it, for, it, for it to matter. So you got to be aware of it. You got to know that it's there. And, and kind of like what you said, if you are aware of it and you also understand just the basic principle and how it works, there's a lot of things you can do preemptively. Like you said, if it's source, it's busing. And you know that sources are be going to, you know, multiple buses. You can go ahead and plan on that ahead of time. Just plan on it because it's it's going to matter. You know, yeah. for me, I know that if I have, um, and I know I, th- I think I've said this before, but it, of course, when it comes to buses, I preemptively strike and account for that. Um, and for me, since I use so much hardware, you know, there are buses where I have like a dummy bus that I literally just run it in and out of the console, which I realize I'm incurring, I'm going through conversion just to make it work, but nothing will line up quite like actually doing it. Meaning if I know that at 96K in and out of a Digico, I believe this is right, is 0.62 milliseconds, right? Uh, Putting 0.62 milliseconds in a delay with that, but to me doesn't always work. Like it right. still can get swimming, it still can get phasey. So the best way to do it is I just run dummy loops where I have to. Um, so anyway, but the, the point of this is, or another aspect of this is, of course on buses, I'm mindful. I take steps ahead of time. And then I do check. I'll send tone through those buses just to make sure everything's cool. And I suggest you guys do that. Um, but if it's similar sources that I know are Ex- going to be expound adding. Expound on that just a little bit because people may, may not understand. When you send I tone just, through, tell them yeah, what it, I just, why you're I, doing I, that. Yeah. Exactly. So I will take, for instance, if I have bus A and bus B, right? And those are two buses that are going to c- contain the like sources, exact sources. A good example would be parallel drum processing, parallel anything processing. I will take a tone, a 1K tone or pink noise, either or. Um, a lot of times I'm working with tone. I know, I know pink noise is broadband, but a lot of times I am working with tone these days when, I, when I'm doing these things. I'll send tone through bus A uh, and I'll send tone to bus B and I'll listen to them. And if they are in alignment, I will listen to and look for their summation, which together should be a a 60 B summation. And then in turn, I will, you know, I'll throw a bus out of phase, make sure they properly negate one another. And you'll, you'll know, I mean, you'll know immediately without, you'll know if, if they're summing. So, yeah. Um, so and also, no, that is, that is. Um, also, mm-hmm. it, there, this requires a little bit of intuitive, intuitiveness, right? So mm-hmm. um, if I put a bass guitar down several buses and I bring it up and it's just missing like low end, like what, you know, there's no high pass filter in it. It's like, you know, you guys need to be intuitive about things, right? Like when you put, you bring up a bass guitar, there's no high pass filtering in it and you're sending it to two different buses. You bring it up and there's like no low end that should tell you that there's something wrong. I always tell people it's like, um, my favorite thing is to watch people, uh, do something, have something explode like a monitor guy, 
push a button and then everything start taking off on stage and then not going back to the button they just pushed pushing looking every everywhere. everywhere else they're looking right. besides yep. the thing that they just did right 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 so that's good so the intuitiveness comes into this right like you know hey i brought a bass guitar up there's no high pass filtering i'm sending it to two buses and there's no low end so mm -hmm. to me Immediately, I go, oh, wait a minute, there's some latency thing happening there. And, and immediately, I'll take it out of one bus just to see if that input sounds right. You know what I mean? So yep. I guess I'm just saying, use your brains. Think about it. And if something is wrong, if it sounds wrong, then something's wrong, you know, and, and, and investigate. And you, yeah, you will learn like you, it just becomes an innate ability. And this is the difference between us and those managers who, who are like, it's not hitting, turn it up louder. And it's like, no, the subs just aren't lined up. It doesn't need yeah. to be like, that's us. That, we should know how to do that. Yeah. And you'll learn how to hear phase issues quickly because that is a specific sound. And that is a, something's wrong. And it's a smear and it's yeah. a push. Yeah. You know, that, that's a thing. Um, and I'll tell you what, I'll take it a step further just as it comes to busing. If I'm working within a platform that has built-in delay, built delay compensation, I will still check it. Like, I'll make sure. I'll be like, okay, now in theory, the way this works, if this is going to the stereo bus, but I'm also sending it to a bus, I could add eight plugins and it'll line it up. Show me. Yeah, like, right. I still check it. You know, I, I yeah. still check it no matter what. Um, but you don't so, check anyway, it. Get, this isn't something that you're like... Uh, this isn't something that you, I, I'm just trying to get across the point that I think it's just my opinion. Are you like Robert? Do you go through every one of your buses and make sure that it's all lined up? Like before you start, is that what you do or no? No. Well, I know, no. To answer that question again, if it's, it's exactly what you're saying, what I'm saying is I know we know the places where we have to do it. Like on buses, we know for sure. What I don't do is align every single channel, right. even if it doesn't, like if there's, if there's a keyboard that has nothing to do with drums that are now 90 samples off. No, I do not. I do not. Okay. Now, I wish, I, I wish it was like in Pro Tools where I could just turn it on and it would do it because, right. the, yes, I wish I could do it. But sometimes I, I don't do it across the board. And, and if you do that, that's awesome. You just need to make sure you know what your base math is because yep. when you change one thing, what's its relative, what has then become the offset? Like what's reference, what's zero, which that's, I'm sure what, and having not watched, I know exactly what he's doing. Having not watched it, I'm sure he preaches that, you know, know what baseline is. So yep. what I will do it for sure is on buses. And then if it's not buses, but are still like sources that are going to combine, like I know if I have a base DI, that I send in and out of the console to a distressor and then add three plugins to, and I'm, and I'm summing it with a mic that's just yeah. using the envelope. Like, I need to, I need to correct for that, yeah, you know? Totally. Well, so, and, and, and that's the part of being intuitive is that you will immediately use your brain. You bring that up and you combine those two things, bring both faders to zero and immediately you hear comb filtering. That's latency folks. That's <laughs> like, you should know what that sounds like and know what's happening with that. And so just be mindful of where you are. You know, it's going to drive you crazy when you're, you're listening to snare top and snare bottom and you're just like, no, there's no, I don't understand. It's not right with yeah. either polarity relationship. It's like, because they're two milliseconds different. And so yeah. that's, that's kind of the way I handle it. Now I have thoughts 
of ways in the future where we could use, it's funny, I think about this all the time. I even have like a product in mind that would allow us to essentially do what our fully in the box studio counterparts can do with cool. delay compensation. That's the kind of a whole other conversation, but it's in my mind. The degree that I do it in real life is just the degree that which I know I need to. I yeah. don't go through every single channel and do it. I do not. I will tell you, um, you know, I have experimented with like, for instance, the Waves LV1 um, has that delay compensation kind of thing on it. And there's two different choices. One is to align everything within the mixer, which includes inputs and outputs. Um, or the other uh, way is a much less DSP intensive mode. And that is pretty much aligning outputs, which is, you know, what, what Pro Tools is doing for the most part. Um, I will tell you, poking the, the align everything in on a mix that you have sometimes will make a difference. Like you'll, you'll poke it in and be like, oh, okay, well, it is making a difference and it is making it sound better. So I have that option. I'm going to leave it in. Um, so in, in that particular example, I have the ability to do that and it's a one button push. So I'm going to do it. Am I going to go through 125 inputs with an FFT? That's just not going to happen for me, man. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that um, you, you need to have latency at the forefront of your thought process. And when you hear something weird, that should be one of the things right away that you go to. Um, and uh, I, I guess that's my opinion about it. Yeah. I'll say one last thing too, as it pertains to, you're talking about inputs and outputs, as it pertains to outputs, uh, definitely for monitor guys, you, you are where latency for sure is super, sure. you know, yeah. uh, make, make sure you know what you're doing. Don't get too cute and not realize that the end result is, you know, some eight millisecond offset that you oh, neither man. one you, your singer can't quite put your finger on. Conversely, at front of house, Know what the know how much time you're putting on your stereo bus or your whatever output yeah. to the PA because then you're going to be like, why are we always 16 mil? Why is the PA something's wrong with smart? You know, it's like right. no, it's not. No, it's You've not. just done that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's good. It's good. Totally good to pay attention to that. But I always say that we're lucky at front of house because we're already moving speakers around and we are. We're already you know having all kinds of of latency happening there. Um, so adding just a little bit more is kind of like yeah, whatever. Um, but you know, monitor world. In case you don't know this, guys, you know, four milliseconds is right about when someone starts mm -hmm. recognizing that there's latency, uh, especially drummers. Um, you'll get drummers looking at you weird when you start hearing five, six seconds or six <laughs> seconds, six milliseconds of latency, a drummer hitting a snare drum will kind of be looking at their monitor engineer weird. Mm -hmm. Um, so the parameters of that are much more stringent and a lot of guys, you know, there's a lot of guys that don't use plugins for that very reason as a monitor engineer. Um, but I think the guys that do use plugins, um, probably end up with a better result, but they are really paying attention uh, mm -hmm. to to what latency is doing. So, um, and I know most monitor guys like Tater at least uses plugins sparingly, and his late therefore his latency is not really an issue. Um, yep. So yeah, that's latency. Let's see. We got a question here, and I can, there's no way that I'm going to be able to pronounce this right, but uh, uh, I he. Uh, <laughs> I, I assume it's a he, uh, Sinekaya 
Mabasan, I think. Shout out. A-S-A-N. Shout out to you, sir, or ma'am. I think it's a sir. It's a sir. Glad glad you're here. Um, (laughs) You're so welcome in advance. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What are they they saying? What's the question? Hard names. Um, I'd like to know what is normally on your tech writer as an engineer when you're booked for a gig, like the kind of large-scale tours that you, Mr. Pooch, and Mr. Rabel do. Mm -hmm. I'm a mister. That's my father. Um, Love it. But anyway. Um, do you want to share some, I thought that maybe we could share some spec and show them like screen share some shit. Um, sure. Do you want to sure. show them some stuff and then I'll show them some stuff. Go yeah. Ahead. So real quick, drawing a kind of a different differentiation between, you know, the, our writer and our spec. Um, it, you know, a lot of times the acts that we work with, will have a tech writer but we don't have a writer in the same way a club act does where a club act has nothing. And it's like, I need a mixer with 16 channels and da da da. We're oftentimes presenting a writer to someone at, you know, for a festival situation or a one-off where what we're not carrying is going to be PA. We're almost always going to have our console with us. So do you um, have an example of that or do you, are you going to show them some spec? I'm going to show spec just because I have easily thinking this is where we're going to go. I've kind of grabbed some things. So let me just show you some spec. Do that, um, and I'll show them some writer. I'm just looking for right some writer. Right. So I've got two things that I'm going to pull up here. One is my uh, a spec that I found, which is literally just a listing, an equipment listing. Um, the other thing is going to be just for reference. I'm going to show a some of the level of detail that I send to the company with that. Okay, you've acquired the gear. This is how I want it laid out. So, without further ado. Let's look at a spec. Now, I have scratched some things out here as to not show too much information. Do you see, Pooch, the Bruno Mars thing? Yep, there it is. Cool. So that's it. This was for a spec. And now here's an important thing to note. You see spec.v2. I am big into everything I do having version numbers on. Me too. So, um, yeah, you you really need to do that or or you'll start to get confused. So this is an older one. But this is something I put together here. Um, you you will see. What is this? I mean, it's pretty obvious, kind of what this is here. But you know, don't just say I need SD racks. I need two SD racks. You know, I don't just need an SD minute. I need one. Make make sure there's no there's no question. And then I will. Now you'll see here where I made like for instance, it says two more SD mini racks let there be no question those are for front of house in bold so that when the guys are glancing at this there's like oh yeah we saw the thing for a mini rack no these are different um moving on down the line you'll see how i try to separate separate everything out logically console racks outboard plugins monitors and this is where it gets and all of that should be fairly self-explanatory to you guys. You kind of see what you're looking at here. Um, it's when you get down into this stuff, computer, software, interfaces, miscellaneous, that's where really, because remember, this is what you're setting sail with and you can make changes later, but as it pertains to rack space uh, and just, you know, the, the general infrastructure really have a handle and a grip on what you're doing because the smallest change can throw everything off. Right. Um, so anyway, you'll see here that I just tried to be as thorough as I could with every single last piece 
of what's coming their way. Um, for myself, now this was 2016, Bluetooth monitor, uh, excuse me, Bluetooth, uh, uh, a mouse or a keyboard. They're not much quicker now. They're not as, as glitchy. And I, at this time I was adamant that they send me wired trackball. <laughs> wired you know what i mean because i just i couldn't take the lag i couldn't take it so that's in there sure. that's underlined um you'll see i asked for again super specifics with every less don't just send me measurement mics send me these measurement mics um shout speaker i shouldn't have to ask for that on a big tour but make sure i said it it's here i don't want that to be a oh it'll show up three days after rehearsals uh have started i mentioned in here the, this was a Claire tour, so Claire 23 space, double wide, pocket door rack. Know what racks your company has ahead of time so they know you know their verbiage. And then I said, see attached rack diagram. I'll show you that in a second. You can see as I move on here, I'm even asking for specifics with the kind of mic stand I need at front of house. You know, I'm, I even know the, the, um, the foot switch I want to have. So there's no stone is left unturned. Um, there was also something on here and I'll move on. I mentioned somewhere on here, there's something about external monitors mounted to console case. Here it is. Two external computer monitors mounted to console slash case. Like I know where I want this stuff to live. And I know if you see at the top, there was what should have been my phone number there my email address. Like it is to be understood. Call me and reach out to me at every turn with questions. I want to know exactly what's happening every step of the way. So kind of flying through this one. This is an older one. Sometimes they're more detailed. That's kind of what it looks like though, guys. Like that's what production gets. That's what the sound company gets. Now, uh, let's see here. Unsharing from there. And real quick before you show some of what you got, let me also show you guys. I said, see attached diagram. And see, do you see that pooch? The I do. Spreadsheet? Yep. Okay. Yep. So what we're looking at here is fairly self-explanatory. This was later on where we, I think we redesigned or re-prepped or did something. This is a front of house rack layout you know, version two again. So you'll see here, guys, this is my, this is for my outboard rack. Well, this is both, there's the outboard rack on the left, which also contains some tuning stuff, some playback stuff. Then on the right here, we have, and I have it labeled, 10 space console rack, a sled that then contains all of my recording stuff uh, and also contains the plug-in servers. So just something to note here, again, no stone left unturned. Everyone should know to reach out to me uh, about any of this. You know, with my patching, I have, you know, 1A, 2A, and then below 1B, 2B means jump from A to B. Um, so they know for sure what all this patching looks like. Over here, once we get AS, we designate it as such. Um, and then there's just this other finer, le finer levels of detail down here where I talk about, like I have Mac mini here, for instance, what is Mac mini? Well, it says that's for smart and I iTunes headphone jack output to analog 25, 20, you know, just make sure it all correlates to something. And I even have details on here where you see in bold, please have all patching on the back of the rack. I knew that for instance, with this, Claire likes to put their patching or by default usually does it on the front. I'd rather it be on the back. So instead of getting there at rehearsals and saying, what's going on, you know, I've already thought about that. Uh, just so you know, too, you'll see where something's here in red, some are in black. You know, I have down here items in red are provided by me. 
so they know there's no guessing who's providing what. Yep. Um, you'll see, I even have vented panels on here where I want spacing between items that I know get hot. Don't just put any panel on there, put a vented panel on there. So there's nothing revolutionary or groundbreaking here, but you can see that the attention to detail from the jump needs to be as great as, uh, as you can possibly make it. So yeah, that's right. and this, that's is just, this is just to get us started. After this, there needs to be a lot. I want there to be a lot of back and forth as we comb through it. So just briefly... There, that's an example of, of kind of the information I send out at the beginning. So. Cool. That's, that's great stuff. Um, and also, guys, you should know that um, after this, is, this happens in several stages, what, what Chris was showing you was what he is sending to the sound company as a, a spec you know, hey, this is what I need you to put together. But then it goes through a stage of having been at rehearsals, which I then, and I know Chris does this too, updates all of those documents to a new version of what's changed because inevitably things are going to change. Um, and then I take it one step further and take photos of every rack at the end of yes. rehearsals so that when there's that week period between rehearsals and production and you get to the production rehearsals and you go, uh, I don't know where this thing plugs into. All I got to do mm -hmm. is scroll through my phone and I have pictures of where stuff was plugged in. You know, um, that's, that's in case I mislabeled or, you know, whatever. But having those pictures, having the documents there and, and file management is like a really, it's a big deal. Like having proper file management with access to it very quickly, uh, I think is, a, is an important skill to have. Um, and I know that, um, you know, Chris and I have kind of honed our, our, uh, stuff in that regard. Um, I guess what I want to show is, is something, you know, I do the same thing. Um, I want to show some other things that we, we carry around for example. Um, let's see if I can pull this up. You see this thing? I do. Okay. Um, so um, this is the Iron Maiden front of house PA audio spec. So what that means is there are shows that we go and do um, that are outside of the PA that we normally carry. Okay. So uh, whether that means it's a festival or it's a headlining show somewhere um, that where we are not going to have our normal PA with us, this is a document that I send out. Uh, explaining what our needs are. Um, and so it, it's pretty, pretty straightforward to telling them exactly, uh, you know, what we need, what my preferred speakers are, uh, what some acceptable alternatives are. Um, but this little section right here, the system must cover the audience area with clear intelligibility. The sound company is to supply enough PA and power to produce average, not peak, 121 dBC, SPL undistorted signal at the front house position, regardless of DB limits imposed on the venue, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. These are all things that, um, you know, a, a promoter will see and turn this over to a local sound company. And that sound company will say, Oh shit, we better bring a bunch of stuff. This is Iron Maiden coming. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, this is a way of expressing that so that, if I were to get there and things were fucked up, you know, they only brought me eight speakers aside. Um, I could say, Hey, did you, you know, you were sent yep. a, a writer and you were supposed to have this and, um, you know, 
so anyway, the, these are all examples of what we would be doing with them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, talking about the sound company providing the staff, uh, the main PA should be flown as far down stage as possible. So these are all things that are considerations for, um, uh, for Iron Maiden specifically. Like I put this document together for Iron Maiden specifically. This spec probably looks similar for other bands, but there is definitely wordage in here that is specific to Iron Maiden. Um, you'll see in the bottom here, we say we will be supplying our own front house monitor, desk, microphone stands, cables. Um, uh, but we tell them what our power needs are, right? Uh, power dis distribution in respect to the above control equipment. We require 63 amp, three phase, 240 volt AC power supply, red five pin C form connector. You know what I mean? Get specific guys. Tell them exactly what you need. Um, I like your thing here too, about we are carrying nothing for yes. opening acts. Let there be no doubt. I have nothing. Yeah. I don't Seriously. even have a, I don't have a mic stand for an opening act. Yeah. You know, that's don't, literally don't what ask. we're saying. We don't have anything. Don't assume we're going to be showing up with anything. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, I just thought I might show that. That is a, a document that goes out. The production manager goes and gives to, um, you know, promoters and festivals and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that when I show up, um, you know, it's easy Easy peasy. Um, now, on top of this document, my system engineer follows up. He has a conversation with whoever this document went to, usually a, a local sound company, and just re-verifies that everything in this document is there. Um, so uh, just so you guys know, get specific, and then don't forget to follow up. Just because you wrote it in the document doesn't mean they're going to do it. Um, mm. So... Uh, so I thought I'd show that one other last thing before we go here um, is I was going to share what kind of internally we have um, uh, at, at Iron Maiden. Um, this is a document that is an internal piece um, that keeps all of us, keeps all the document in, in all the things that we ever need to know about the audio patch uh, and basically anything audio within Iron Maiden, this documents includes. If you see at the bottom, there's all kinds of tabs here, and I'll page through this. Um, but you'll see, you know, the first tab is the uh, input patch, uh, which shows uh, snake lines, what microphone, what um, stage, um, you know, line it's coming from, whether or not it has 48 volts, uh, what loom is it, what's the length of that loom. Um, this is all like instant information that you would, if you ever needed to know anything about what was happening. Um, then uh, we got the output patch, which shows a lot of the same kind of information. You'll see, you know, uh, number 12, NL4 US amplifier straight to, uh, you know, the HK tops. Um, so all of the signal paths are all documented and easy. You know, you could literally hand this to somebody who was an audio person and they would be able to look at this document and be able to trace where things go, inputs and outputs. Um, microphones, these are just like a microphone inventory. Um, here's a stage plot showing, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff, where everything is, where the wedges are, um, where amp racks live, where power needs to go. Um, so that's your, your pretty basic... Uh, stage plot, but it shows everything that you need to know there. Here's uh, the power scheme and what they need. 
Um, you know, you see up there like Tater uh, is SD7 and 110 volt, 32 amp feed. He has a five meter cable length from monitor position. So all those information is there. Um, wireless showing what we have for wireless, uh, showing what exactly is in our touring kit, you know, what's in the monitor racks, what's in stage left amplifier rack. You know, this is just all listing of what's there. Um, kind of an inventory, uh, cable pick, like what, how many cables we have and carry. Um, let's see, uh, kit list. This is more like what the actual cases are that we are carrying with us. Um, so anyway, I mean, you know, I, I don't have to go through all this, but you can see there is just tons of information, right? You know, uh, warehouse pickup, like how many cases we got from there. What was the old RF inventory that we had? We just keep adding tabs to this document that everyone kind of shares. Um, and over time, um, you know, it's, it's an accurate description of exactly what we have. And if you ever had any question, like right now, even though all of our gear is sitting in a warehouse, I know what's there exactly and what's in what box. So like if I were to say, if someone were to say to me, hey, um, we need to go have the such and such amp repaired, I could pull that document up and be like, yep, it's in case A4 um, and it's a, a red and blue case. You know what I mean? It's those kind of things. Um, yeah. uh, so... File management, man, it's important. It's like, you know, make sure, if you're not doing it, like get hip to it. Um, you should be as proficient in Excel as you are on your console. Yeah. And, you know, now a lot of this stuff, we, you know, we, we've always passed it back and forth between one another. Um, you know, now a lot of that stuff's in the cloud. Uh, that's true. And because, you know, there's always those, you know, you've got that one guy that's been the stage patch guy for the past seven years. Well, guess what? He might not be there one day. That's and right. if it's all in, if it's all in Skip's brain and then Skip's not there, you don't want to be totally fucked at that <laughs> that's point. That's right. <laughs> so most of this stuff is moved to the cloud. And then we even took it a step further in Bruno world where we have show files in the cloud too, which I can see how some people get weird about that. Like, oh, I don't want my file, but just I to me, I'm like, get over it. What if I don't have my key? What if I, you know, I want, and I want the shop. If it's suddenly a prep thing or you've got duplicate rigs, it'd be like, pull that file, make sure it works. Yeah. You know what I mean? Every so. single file that I have. Um, and I believe me, I have every single file that I've ever made for any band. So like, if you go to my folder, um, of, uh, I, it's just called touring. Um, it has every single band that I've ever worked for and all the documentation that relates to that. All of that lives in a Dropbox on the cloud. So like, even yeah. if my laptop got stolen, I could have access to any of it. Um, so yeah, if you're not hip to using cloud stuff, you should, you should be. Um, yeah. you know, one, one thing to, to point out too, with all of this, with maybe not the internal documentation, I don't necessarily mean this with, but with the stuff that we send to others, um, you know, there's, it's, uh, we talk a lot about here about, you know, about politics and about, I don't want to say posturing in a, in a bad way, but when you come with a level of detail, now don't take this too far and send someone a novel to where they're just going to check out. For sure. But when you send things where the first bit of communication is done with a good bit of detail, it lets them know that you need that you mean business. 
you know, Uh, very very similar. We spoke in another one about dealing with crews and valuing your crews and this and that. And it's just the same thing with them. It's like when you get to meet them, get to know them, they've already seen all this information generated from you. So again, they know you care and they know you're watching. And And it's the same way with anyone that you're, you're dealing with first, it just sets a good precedent. If you, and if you're too loose with your language, then you have nothing to stand on when, you know, <laughs> loose service comes your yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Right on. Well, um, uh, that was kind of a question to answer. I mean, I, I think we only got to like five questions, but it's, it's pretty awesome that you guys are asking. Them. I know. Um, yeah. it's, it's great that you guys are asking us questions and we'll continue to have, uh, ones where we, we answer. Um, what was great is these questions were so good that it took long answers to, uh, to get to them. So, um, we appreciate it. Please keep doing it. Um, subscribe, uh, check our stuff out and, um, thanks for coming. We appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks a bunch, everybody. 